Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, again, welcome to this week's Man in the Post Extra Time. I'm your host, Chris. Uh, with me this week, I've got a socially distanced Jesse. Hello, from so many feet away. How are you? Great. You guys don't do feet, do you? Yeah. Yards, kilometers, feet, milliliters. Feet. We like to mix it. We like to mix it up. Sometimes yeah. we go imperial. Sometimes we go metric. Uh, that was Adam, who's wearing a, who's got a yellow card because he's wearing a rugby shirt. Hi. You've got to call me sir all the way throughout this um, podcast, even if you disagree with what I say. That would, that would infer that you have any sort of authority when <laughs> I'm in charge. I've got a Scott. Uh, I, if, you can point out, if you can point out a time when I've respected your authority, then I will do that. No worries, Eric Cartman. i got a Scott. <laughs> Hi. Are you right? Uh Yeah, I've been off all this week. I'm, so, uh, I'm isolating. So, yeah, I've got, I suffer with asthma, okay. but, yeah, I'm all good. Cool. Uh, and back after about four years absent, so, like, some sort of Dick Whittington that's gone off to find his fortune in London and he's come back with a sort of knapsack and a long stick, uh, it's only bloody Mark Godfrey. Hello. You did say long stick there, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call you anything okay, else. Ha- <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very well. All the better for speaking to you. Good. Good to be back. Cool. Right. We are going to be talking this week about talking about um, a very special tournament this week. We're going to be talking about Italian 90 because, Mark, you uh, are part of the Vicero. No, you're bloody hell. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> oh, don't tell him. Make him keep going. <laughs> it's called Vincera, the story of Italian 90. There you go. You're part of that. So that, is that a website and a podcast, is it? No, it's just a podcast that um, I started and um, hopefully we'll get finished in time to be able to have it ready for, for June this year. Oh, okay. So no episodes have come out yet. You're um, releasing them all during what would have been Italian 90? Yes. Well, the, the setup is that June uh, June 8th, 1990 was the first day of Italian 90. So episode one will come out then. Yeah. And then there will be an episode every single day to correspond with the fixture dates of Italian 90 up until July the 8th, when the final took place between Argentina and West Germany. So there are 24 episodes. Um, and as I said, fingers crossed, I'm going to have them all ready in time. Right. There, is a, pre- there, so there, is, a, there is a preview episode available already that you can listen to to whet your appetite okay no problem as long as you know how to spell it you can look it up on the apple <laughs> <laughs> right so uh italian 90 no, okay so i'm guessing mark it's probably just myself and you that remember this uh and mm. it holds a certain resonation for people our age adam stuck his thumb straight down mm-hmm. um why does it mean a lot for people of a certain age and maybe quite possibly nationality as well 
Ooh, how much tape have you got in the machine to be able to go through this one? Because first of all, I think can we attribute? Sorry, just can we attribute how old everyone was? Because I think it's going to be abundantly clear. Well, I think that's. <laughs> do you know what, um, Adam? That's. I think that's a key element to it because uh, I've, I've said this to anybody who's asked me, but I, I have heard this before that the, the World Cup that's closest to your fourteenth birthday is supposed to be what would be your World Cup. And okay. I was four, I was fourteen. Uh, about three weeks, four weeks after Italia 90 ended. So that is, works perfectly for me. Um, I, I was 12, so I was so I was a month away from being 13 as well. So, yeah. Okay. So it fig- figures for you two. Of course, being English and um, <laughs> England, uh, England doing so well and getting to the semi-finals, especially considering the state English of football had been in throughout the 1980s, um, both in terms of on the field and off the field. Um, the coverage of football. Remember, we didn't see wall-to-wall football on the television back then. In fact, there were only something like 12 live games on British television that year, that season. Not, not the No European games, nothing like that. Not even the European Cup final was live on the TV. So having two or three games every single day on the telly uh, at, a, at a time where we could watch them, it wasn't like a totally different time zone um, here in England, um, uh, everything was sunny. The, the the kits were amazing. Um, you had the way the the coverage was. Things like Ness and Dorma uh, on the BBC. The the music in the charts. You know, World in Motion, Happy Mondays, uh, Stone Roses, dance music, pop music. Everything everything just came together in that summer. And then you throw into the mix the way the world was changing and the way the football was changing as well. Uh, you have to say that everything. There's there's a pre-Italia 90 and a post-Italia 90 in football. And, and it's kind of that moment, that tournament was pivotal to how football changed thereafter. And again, you look at how the world was. Um, the Cold War ended. The Berlin Wall had just come down. Uh, Nelson Mandela had just been released. Uh, in this country, we had things like the poll tax riots. Everything was changing. And, uh, the, the, the invasion of Kuwait by Iraq came a month after Italia 90 in the first Gulf War. So you can see how how um, the world was just a different place then, but it was changing very rapidly in 1990. And within it, you had this football tournament in the, the probably the epicenter of world football in 1990 was Italy and Syria, just being beamed around the world like never before to this audience and to throw into the mix England, who was supposed to be terrible at that tournament and were going to be lucky to get out of the group, somehow bumbled the way to the semi-finals and the whole nation was gripped you know so that so and then being 14 when all this happens you can see what gave me the inspiration 30 years on to to make this podcast yeah and it was about the same time that scott and charlene got married as well oh that was <laughs> that was a few years earlier that was 1987 i think that was on the tv oh was it oh okay yeah i seem to remember about that time <laughs> Jesse's expression suggests that neighbours yes. didn't translate to didn't make it to. Oh, I thought there was some like royal that I had missed. No, no, no. Right, I'm not going to um, just out of pure bitterness. I'm not going to ask the three of you how old you were when um, Italian ninety was on. I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm one. I was, one. <laughs> I was three and a half. I'm very old, so I was five. Okay, do you remember it? Um, I remember. We were we were living in like a small apartment in Brooklyn, so I I, I remember my father what we now do all the time, like waking up 
at you know swappy time difference hours to to listen yeah jesse i'm interested because um i think that there was no english language station in the states took coverage of italia 90 it was only spanish speaking channels took took it yeah that was most of my chat i mean i think i don't remember being able to watch football really like on tv that was not like like you said that was not like you know univision until i was probably 14 or 15 even the 94 world cup that was here we bought i remember my parents buying like a packet you know like you could buy that channel whatever that channel was um because even that they weren't showing all the matches but we had a my father had a radio that he would tune into and maybe that's what I, i have to ask him now i don't know but i do remember the sounds like i remember you know him waking up to watch to to listen or to watch and the noise of the commentary in the stadiums your point about um this being the time once every four years that we got to see these players these millennials we've got, these other three millennials we've got on this podcast here, we've never ever known the joy of sort of finally getting to see Maradona, having not seen him for the mm. previous four years, because we didn't get Serie A on TV in this country. And of course, afterwards, we didn't see him for another four years because La Liga wasn't on. So um, yeah. it was a real joy to see these players and to come across these players. I remember watching Thomas Scaravi and thinking, wow. And of course, then he disappears for a few years and Dragon Stoikovic yeah. as well. It was a fantastic thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, Scott it probably... only watches the World Cup on TikTok videos because that's how the millennials do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was it was the last, possibly the last World Cup. Um, maybe you could say USA '94, but certainly Italian '90 was the last World Cup of any mystery or surprise. Um, yes, you probably knew Marco van Basten and Ruud Hullet and Maradona, as he said, uh, if you were English, um, but you didn't really know much about um, who, which Brazilians were going to show up. You certainly didn't know anything about South Korea. Um, you knew zero about Cameroon pretty much um so 94 yes we started to get Syria so you saw a lot of the Italians and and um international stars from on football Italia didn't you but and then 98 by the by the time USA uh sorry France 98 came along okay the internet probably what hadn't proliferated as much as it had would have done by 2002 and 2006 and certainly not like what we have today but yeah the, what can you remember Chris that the that first thing you've the first time you saw Valderrama, yes, for example, or René Aguita. Yeah. I mean, how mad was that? People with hair like that and playing the way they did. Now, there, there are no surprises <laughs> anymore. Exactly. <laughs> okay, right. We'll crack on with the games then. So, uh, there were 24 teams. Um, 14 from UEFA, 4 Commonwealth, and then 2 each from AFC, CAF, and CONCACAF, which is, I think that's possibly the last time we sort of saw a such a swing towards the European teams. Uh, the game started on the 8th of June. If my mum's listening, she probably won't be reminded of the fact that I'd ran away from home six days before this and I'd spent the night in a hedge in Leicester with um, with my friend and I was told to go to my room after school and I wasn't allowed out of my bedroom for about a week, but she did let me come down and watch the, um, the kick-off take place between Cameroon and uh, Argentina. Um, Argentina were probably the overwhelming favourites. They were the holders. This was the time, of course, when the holders didn't have to qualify, of course, for it. Um, and first of all, we see a red card. Uh, Andre Kanabiak um, for Cameroon got a red card. I can't remember what on earth for. All I remember from this game is Benjamin Massing. So uh, I think you've all probably seen this. The the header for Oman Biak, who scores with a um, Popidou error. The ball sort of comes down and he's, it's a very easy save for him, but he lets it through. 
And then Benjamin Massing tries to take out Claudia Kanija, doesn't he? You guys must have seen this footage, have you? The shakes of heads. <laughs> I watched the um, the two review shows. So I watched the BBC one and the ITV one yesterday. So yeah. on the YouTube, uh, two very very agricultural challenges to take him down. There's about three road over, wasn't there, for Benjamin Massing when his shoe came off? Mm. Um. I mean, people talk about Messi versus Ronaldo, but I mean, neither players had to take the punishment that uh, Kanisha or Maradona or players like that took. Messi does it on a weekly basis on La Liga. Against that? There's there's actually a, a fun stat that I think Maradona got fouled more in that first game than Messi did in the whole of the last World Cup. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, there's so much South Americanness that's bubbling up in me right now. Um, <laughs> So I think there's something really interesting to Mark's point, though, about like being surprised by players. And I do think that, you know, pre-wide coverage, whatever Ryan would have a name for, I don't know if it's broadband or like otherness that like, you know, you get to watch people on television, whatever that word is called. Um, And the Internet, yes, you were really limited, um, but there were players that we knew about because they were playing in South America. So... It's interesting, you know, when Valderrama came to MLS, there were this whole host of South Americans who were so excited to get to see him sort of again or see him in person. Um, or Rene Guita, like, that was our contingent. Whereas, I think for you guys, um, I can't believe I you people do. This is terrible. It's only going to go down from here. But I think for you guys, you know, you knew European players. We, di- we didn't, but we did know South American players. Um, and I think the surprise was how they did not only hold up, but also how their styles played against other people, because even for them, they were so siloed. Like, the South American players were not used to playing or seeing the the European leagues. So, yes, Maradona got fouled like crazy, but he also played a very typically Argentinian style that lent itself to drawing fouls and going down and being a, the kind of psycho idiot that he is. Um, that's a technical term, but like, you know, it was that clash of styles, I think that led to a lot of excitement, but also more car, more, more fouls and more cards. Cause these were not players who were used to each other. I don't know if that makes sense. I enjoyed Adam's the, gonna disagree uh, right now. I no, I just, enjoy, I, I enjoyed the very sort of Urugu- Uruguayan Finley Vale digs at Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> There's no rival going there, is there? <laughs> what I was going to say is that uh, at, at this stage yeah, in world football, the the power the the sort of the power shift hasn't fully swung to European football at this point, like it is now. So to get the stage where if you were to look at the the Argentine team from the last World Cup, for example, I believe I might be wrong in saying only Pavon was from playing football in Argentina. Yeah. Because yeah, he's a bocker. Because they're now the money is is in Europe. So that's what so we don't have that and with that that brings sort of a homogeneity across uh, all playing stars, which is exactly the point that you're making, Jesse, that football is more homogenized now than it ever has been. And <clears throat> there is no sort of nineteen eighty two Brazilian samba Brazil don't play that football anymore. It doesn't exist. Because right. it's been uniformed. 
it's interesting you say that, Adam, because 1990 is probably the first World Cup where Brazil had um, begun to use European tactics. It was the first time they ever employed a sweeper system at, a, at an international tournament. And, and that's because the majority of their players, probably for the first time, were all European-based. And, of course, they, they played Argentina in the round of uh, 16 in an epic match um, and battered them for a lot of the game. But they were too un-Brazilian to break down an Argentina, you know, that, that really stolid, stoic um, uh, uh, bastardry, if, if you want to call it that, that Argentina were, were famous for. And, and that was kind of the beginning, really, of when South American football started becoming more like uh, the European football that, we, that we've known for so long. OK. That first game of Argentina-Cameroon, that was like a, a wow moment, wasn't it? I remember coming, um, I remember sort of watching the results the next day. I don't even know, we might have even seen it on CFAX, I can't remember. But um, you, sort of think, you sort of think, well, how many did Argentina win by? Turn the on. Oh, my God. It's yeah, it was it was absolutely incredible to watch uh, live, um, and it was made all the more sweet because it was Maradona, of course, public enemy enemy number one in England, yep. but also public enemy number one in the north of Italy. So he was barracked and jeered, and uh, um, he was really a hated figure in in the north of Italy. So you can imagine the Milanese were were desperate for Cameroon, Cameroon to win, and they did. Um, and I think Maradona even said one day that uh you know that um something he made some comment about uh you know that actually cameroon made the north of italy realize that they weren't racists all the time or something like that you know so he wasn't the first to stir in the pot which didn't do him or argentina uh, any favors in that world cup so yeah it was it was immense i mean cameroon were 500 to 1 to win the tournament and there they are beating seemingly unbeatable um champions in the first game yeah this game was so, a sincere wasn't that- it I imagine yeah, that would really be the, uh, the probably the most controversial thing Maradona will say in this tournament. Probably won't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> no. he, 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 he starts he starts off he starts off high, but it, he only just he just keeps going and keeps going. Well, the second game when they beat Russia, what, with... what kind of high? <laughs> yeah, especially, especially in the Brazil game, nudge nudge to wink wink. Yeah, when they um, the next game when they play the Soviet Union, uh, he does a little hand of God again, doesn't he? Which he it doesn't lead to anything, but. He had a little go at doing another one. It stops a certain goal when it was nil nil. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Gerald Sinstad on the um, highlights I watched today was was particularly outraged by it. <laughs> um, yeah, Cameroon they beat Romania in the next game, uh, and at the end of that Group A, um, this is only two points for a win, of course. So Cameroon finished the group top, and then Romania and Argentina on three points. Russia won. Quite a few teams finishing in third place got through to the next round, though, Mark. Yes, a very alien format these days um, to see the best third-place teams getting through. Exhibit A of why this isn't a good World Cup. <laughs> oh, me and, you, me and you are going to have words. But actually, strangely, the, the eight worst teams on paper, I think, if you include Scotland in that, were knocked out. There were no surprises in the end to the 16 that, that progressed. Um, I suppose the USSR finishing uh, outside the top three of this group was potentially the big the biggest surprise of all yeah um, I just about the, ne- the Netherlands made it through with zero wins as did Ireland in the same group in that same group oh yeah 
Yeah, excellent. Well done. <laughs> group B was Italy's group. Uh, they got their game off to uh, their tournament off to uh, a good start with a one 0 win against Austria. Some fella called Toto Scalacci Scott. He um, he scored. Uh, he was a bit of a funny old player because he'd been at Messina for seven years and only scored sixty one goals in two hundred and twenty odd games. And at the time he was at Juve, um, twenty six goals in ninety appearances. He wasn't exactly known for scoring, unlike Mrs. Scalacci and Gianluigi Lentini, of course. Afterwards, <laughs> that's a story for another podcast. Yeah, we'll do another one on that before this coronavirus is out. <laughs> No, he wasn't known, but then uh, tournament football can do strange things, as what we were talking about last week with Harris Deas, and he had the tournament of his career. Yeah. Jesse, you don't know that story about Gianluigi Lentini? I don't. No, you tell me all the best cheating stories. He was the most expensive player at one time when he left Torino to join AC Milan. And one, th- so he was the most expensive player in the world, about 13 million at the time. He was mm. speeding home down the uh, motorway um, in his brand new Ferrari or something to get away from the house of Mrs. Scalacci. I think before Toto was on his way home, crashed his car, ended up in a coma, and barely played again. Yeah, that was the end of his footballing career, basically. Yeah. Moral of the story: Don't cheat on your wife, I guess. Quite possibly. Yeah. I think we've all learnt something here. Drive responsibly. Drive yeah. responsibly. Yeah, <laughs> cheat on your wife as long as you drive responsibly. Somebody <laughs> tell that to our tour video. <laughs> <laughs> on more than one occasion. <laughs> uh, yeah, Italy also beat the United States 1 0 and Czechoslovakia 2 0. Um, so can, we talk, cool. can we talk about one of the goals in the Czechoslovakia game? Yeah, which game? Which one? Oh, the, was it the Bobby Badger one? Yes. The goal of the tournament? Absolutely hammered it, didn't he? That was in the mix of his. His move from Fiorentina to Juventus, which went down very well in Florence. As I say, that must have been weighing on his mind at the time as well. Mm. Eight million. Yeah. And not allowed back in Florence probably for the next 30 years. In fact, he might just be able to walk back in now. Is that the one where they rioted? Pretty yes. much. Yes. Yeah. And when they played each other the, the next season, uh, he someone threw a... Fiorentina scarf at him and he picked up and started waving it around in the Juventus kit. Refused to take a penalty as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Italy finished top of that group six points, Czechoslovakia four, Austria two, United States nil. This was their first World Cup they qualified. It'd be the next time they would fail to qualify for a World Cup would be 2018. Um, so your dad, Jesse. I mean, they did, they, did, they did host the next one though. They got to the knockout stage, I think, in the next one, didn't they? Yeah, but they only got they got in because they hosted it. Oh right, okay. they didn't qualify. <laughs> they, they they probably only got into Italia ninety because Mexico had been um, rather controversially excluded from the qualification for fielding underage players at a, a youth tournament, and that certainly helped them get into it because the USA team were essentially just a squad full of college kids. Oh, this was the qualifying tournament, Jesse. Where as well? Sorry, Mark just reminded me where uh, Chile were thrown out because of their goalkeeper. That was 1990? Yes. Yeah. Roberto Rojas. I don't think I... I mean, I know the story, but I didn't... She was five. Give her a break. <laughs> <laughs> Should we even younger when the qualified happens? Just tell us what happens, Chris. I wasn't born at this point. Come on, Mark, you tell this, us what happened. Is this the coin? Um, 
it was not it was was it a coin it was it was brazil played chile didn't they in a qualifying brazil i don't think they had done particularly well in the qualifying stage and um somebody threw a was it a flare flare yeah firecracker yeah onto the pitch and it landed nowhere near the chilean goalkeeper rojas um yet he went down uh with a cut to his head but he had razor blades didn't he in his gloves yeah and the intention all along was to cut (laughs) his head and of course um Nobody, nobody bought this for a second, and Chile got Chile got banned for trying to get the match annulled or awarded to them for for Rojas claiming that he got hit by this firecracker that landed about ten meters away from him. That's right. So he bladed himself pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> and he got he got a lengthy ban as well, didn't he? As a person, I don't remember what his his personal ban was, but not long enough to cheat and get <laughs> bloody South American cheats. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jesse, I was going to ask you. Sorry, uh, your dad obviously uh, he's he wasn't born in the United States. He was born in Uruguay, wasn't he? So, um, was can you remember? I know you're only five. Uh, as well as cheering for Uruguay in this tournament, was he cheering for America as well? Do you think, or is that not something he does? No, it's so funny. I talked to somebody about this the other day. That South America, like the way that in 2010, all of Africa rooted for. Ghana, South Americans don't don't have that like um, continentalism. You know, nobody's going to say, "Okay, well, we're out, so let's all go behind Peru." Um, I think my father, I, I, and I will ask him. I know he was like he was watching the Cosmos, and he did watch as much football as he could find. So I'm sure, and he always watches all the matches. I don't think he's ever rooted for the states, though. Aside from the the women's team. Okay. I think there's like, you know, it's our team is Uruguay, and if not, if they're not in, you just you sort of just hope that Argentina will lose. Whoever's playing Argentina, so exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> For I mean, you. I asked you one like a while ago. It's if if England get knocked out, you're not going to sort of rally behind Wales. No. <laughs> Uh, group C, which is probably where the funniest result of the um, group stages happened. So this was a, a, a group with Brazil, Costa Rica. Um, why have I written? I've written Sweden and not Sunderland. Scotland. And so, yeah, Scotland. No, that was. That's the one. Vic, can you just talk about Sunderland's run? In- <laughs> <laughs> it's just stunning. Yeah. So there's pressure. Can we, can, we, can we get Jonathan Wilson on to talk about Sunderland in the 1990s? <laughs> Seamless mark as ever. Um, <laughs> so there's pressure on this Brazil team. They um, uh, they went out at the quarterfinal stage at the previous World Cup. They're coming into this as uh, their bitter rivals, Argentina and Ho- oh, the holders. They have to get off to a good start, don't they? Yeah. Mm, yeah, and they did okay. It was a, it was fairly easy group. They they probably got the easiest group of the top seeds. I would have said. And they waltzed through it fairly comfortably, I would say. Um, but as I said, they weren't the fluid Brazil of 86 or especially 82. No. Um, yeah, they. Uh, um, I watched the highlights of the Sweden game. The Branco to Kareka ball, where he ran to the goalkeeper for, I think, the first one was just something else. Kareka had a fantastic tournament, didn't he? Yes, very, very elegant player, Kareka. Yeah, he's probably like the last sort of throwback to sort of 82 or 70 they had, wasn't he? Yep, that's right. Um, he was meant to be in the 82 squad, but he got injured. Yeah. So we didn't see him till 86. 
No, exactly. Uh, and um, Scotland, this is where the fun begins, Scott. <laughs> um, their first game was Thanks. against Costa Rica. Costa Rica, Costa Rica uh, as you would say in the northeast. Um, this is a. a... <laughs> He, he, his brain had pressed the button for Scotland accent and it just went and Geordie just came out Geordie <laughs> for fuck's sake man oh, hey, hey. oh you live there don't you yeah you should be good at this I give a go I give a right okay so uh, this should be a nice easy game shouldn't it for Scotland Scott a bit of a gimme yeah yeah look what happened this I didn't. I I remember watching this. I haven't had so much fun in ages watching this game. Um, Scotland come out as the overwhelming favourites against Costa Rica. Uh, who you know this is pre Brian Ruiz and Kayla Navas days. I've got absolutely no idea who any of these players were. Such as the fact that you know if we only got to see Maradona once every four years, you're not going to see a Costa Rica player very often. Um, so you would have thought it'd be a nice sort of easy little job for them then. Uh huh. How did they get on? They lost one now. <laughs> yep, to one Layasso. Um They had their chances, Scotland did. They had a lot of chances. They and did. they were they were foiled by the goalkeeper, Luis Canejo. Uh, yes, that's safe from Mo Johnson he made. Mo Johnson won right at the end. Yeah. You just know, I mean sort of Scotland are very sort of tragic comic, aren't they? Hilariously. Um, and you just sort of knew the longer this game got on, it had got sort of one player having an outstanding defensive performance and Scotland losing written all over it. Who was it? It was Andy Roxburgh as the manager of this, wasn't he? He was, yes. Yeah. Have you asked your dad about this game? I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> you assume you know what his reaction's going to be. <laughs> I think he's still trying to get over World Cup 98. Oh, is he? What, Tommy Boyd's own goal? <laughs> yes. Okay. He should never have left the wide awake club. Um, okay, so Scotland lost this. This <laughs> <laughs> blank looks. I was hoping you were going to get that. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they lost this first game. Uh, they beat Sweden in the second game, two one, didn't they, Scotland? Two. Yeah, and then he gets to the Brazil game, and um, Murder McLeod's head met a Marco Branco free kick. This was you yes. I do, and well, I do. Murdo McLeod doesn't. No, <laughs> um, but he got he got he got sparked out. Had to be taken off, um, and I, I think to this day doesn't remember. Uh, and even it, there was a story went round Brazil for many years, and in fact they had to get Murdo McLeod to dispel this uh, myth that um, that so, shortly after Italia ninety he had died as a result of the head injury received when Branco's free kick nearly took his head off. And they had, he had to go on Brazilian TV or something to just tell everybody that actually, no, it wasn't true. He yeah. survived and went on to play football for a many few years after that. Yeah, and then he appeared on CBeebies a long time after that. But yeah, he, um, I think they measured the trajectory of that ball and they reckoned it was at least 80 miles an hour when it smashed him in the face. It's well worth you don't on YouTube. To, yeah, you don't have to pretend to be hard if that one happens to you, do you? No. Uh, Ali, of course, is very. But, ha- but it happens to Fear Walcott, and everyone takes the piss out of him. <laughs> <laughs> happens to Olivia double, Bernard. <laughs> double standards. <laughs> yeah, but he's not like big and grizzly and wrestles golden eagles out of the Highlands, is he? All the all the more reason why it's going to hurt him more. He's delicate, <laughs> like a flower. 
Yeah, how do you say that to Mark? Sorry? How do you answer that? Uh, I can't. No, I think it's unanswerable, Adam. <laughs> You've asked an unanswerable question. Uh, okay, so Group D was uh, West Germany, Yugoslavia, Colombia and United Arab Emirates. This was a... Um, oh, I've got to talk Yugoslavia now. Right, how long have we got on this podcast? Um, <laughs> it's not It's not last week Last week about Zagorakis and Karagunas. <laughs> I want to point out that I'm so young that I technically don't really remember West Germany. <laughs> there was a wall? <laughs> There was a war for a very long time. There's two Germanys. So good, they had two of them. Mm. They shouldn't be allowed to bring them together and take both the one. They either start again with zero World Cups. Oh, yes. Do you think they should start again with a Holy Roman Empire? Like sort of Germany being like from Prussia and different, places. It's a, yeah, it's a different place, isn't it? They don't have a, Germany, how many World Cups have they won? Not five. Exactly. Agree. Take some scars away. Do you know what? I remember being at school learning about sort of American history and the American Revolution and stuff. And I thought, well, that's a bit unfair how they were allowed to beat us after only about 100 years of colonialization. They should have started as cavemen and worked their way up or something. We kind of are. Yeah. You should be in your sort of Paleolithic phase. It's a little cave. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Ex- we may not get out of it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, right. So um, this Yugoslavian team is quite an interesting one because it's four years after they won the Under-20 Youth Cup with uh, Davosuka, Zvonimir Boban, um, Slavon Bilic. There's quite a lot of players that we take for granted today that went on to play for Croatia and uh, Yugoslavia that would sort of make their names. Um, no Zvonimir Boban, this was only about a month or so after the Maximir right where he decided to kick a um, policeman. That didn't go down very well. Yeah. He was he was currently in the middle of a, a ban by the Yugoslav FA. Um, but they had brought uh, Prozinecki, um, Dragan Sojkovic, Dejan Savicevic, an uncapped Davos Suka, uh, Darko Panchev. This was a pretty decent team, wasn't it, Mark? Uh, extremely good team. They weren't they weren't perfect, um, as you, as you say in there. They got humped by West Germany in the first game, yep. but they gradually got better. Uh, I think they qualified better than any other team from the European section as well. So they were a common force. Obviously, Red Star Belgrade won the European Cup a year later with a lot of that uh, team, um, and they were potentially, I think, from from memory, I think they were favourites or joint favourites to win Euro '92. But of course, they never got there. Um, but yes, they were they were a very very good team, um, well balanced. Maybe a little bit dodgy in defence. The goalkeeper wasn't the best, but I, there were very few teams would have had a better attacking roster yeah. than Yugoslavia at nineteen ninety. And this Colombia team was decent as well, didn't it? It got Valderrama, Freddie Rincon as well, um, Andreas Escobar in defence. They were no monks. Goalkeeper, goalkeeper is a bit of a liability. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have a nice quiet tournament. <laughs> I think. It's considered like the start of Colombia's golden generation. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Andres Escobar was just that. That I think was my first real soccer memory. In '94, mm. I was devastating. So was this the start? Start to when they beat Argentina five 0 in Argentina. This was that was '93, wasn't it? That was so. This yeah. Been so that, same was, that was qualifier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah is the goalkeeper? Is the, is the goalkeeper the one who gets murdered by the drug cartels? That was the defender. The defender, yeah. Gita. As, uh, sorry, Andres Escobar. The goalkeeper yeah. actually was quite good friends with the um, with the drugs cartels. He was good but friends They all went and played football, didn't they? With um, Pablo Escobar at his um, cathedral, sort of, not cathedral, his, um, what did he call it? A cathedral, didn't he? His big Rush. house. 
Is Ranch, yeah. Right. Yeah, they all went and played football though before the 94 World Cup. I, yeah, I've yeah. seen Narcos. I do what that man says. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and this German team, of course, you know, they're the, they're the Germans. Um, <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, was, Chris. Come on. I, only some of the Germans, because the others yeah. are in the East. Yeah. Well, a, a couple of those Germans, yeah. I've been lucky enough to get onto the show. Have you? Yes, I which, have indeed. Which ones? Uh, Pierre Litbarski, who was one of my favourite players back in the at those times. And um, possibly more interesting is Thomas Berthold. Oh, yes. And is, Thomas Berthold is the man that Paul Gascoigne fouls to get his second yellow card of the tournament. No way. Right. OK, so he's coming on, is he? Yep, both of them are on. I you call him a horrible bastard and say nothing. Oh no! Do you know what they were? They were both amazingly forthright and obliging guys. Um, happy to speak, bend over backwards to to fit. You know, whenever the uh, time, good time to suit them. Um, unlike unlike any of the England players, funnily enough, none of the England players want to talk. Oh, did they not? Very strange. Okay, who have you approached? What do you want to say? Um. Dorigo, Parker, Gascoigne, Lineker, uh, Waddle, Waddle uh, Mark Wright. Want to talk about it. <laughs> um, so probably six or seven of them at least. Okay. Um, yeah, like you say, West Germany, they uh, trounced Yugoslavia 4-1. So this was actually at the San Siro, wasn't it, where Mateus Klinsmann and Bremer all sort of played for Inter at that time. Uh, this was the Lothar Mateus solo goal as well, wasn't it? Yes, he scored two in that game. Yeah. Um, both, both crackers, but especially the second one. Yes. So from that group, um, West Germany, Yugoslavia, and Colombia progressed. Uh, group E, Jesse. No. <laughs> Spain, Bulgaria, Uruguay, and South Korea. The Uruguay did progress, didn't they? Yes. This wasn't the South Korea we know now. This was the South Korea. They were sort of like whipping boys perennially, weren't they? Um, That's because they didn't have um, any song. Tottenham players. At the, no. Yeah. It was a lack, a real lack on their part. <laughs> and then it comes to Group F, uh, so-called. This was a group of death for Italian 90. So this was England, Republic of Ireland, Netherlands and Egypt. Um, England, like you say, Scott, um, uh, Mark, coming on the back of Euro 88, where we did terribly, absolutely terribly. And I think we played both Ireland and the Netherlands in that tournament, didn't we? Yes, they were in the same group then. Um, and there's a great quote by Pete Davis, um, who wrote the, the seminal book, All Played Out. Um, from Italia 90, uh, he he says in the in the show he says um, we were we were a, a team of uh, oafish players followed by oafish fans, and I think the story of the group was more about England's fans on Sardinia than the football because the Ireland game was awful, um, the Holland game was slightly better. Um, we looked like a proper team then, and then we you know we were nervous all the way through the Egypt game and got the win that gave England the top of the group and a slightly easier route through the knockout stages. But um, as we were talking about before, Ireland and Holland had the same win, uh, three draws, uh, same goals for, same goals against. So there had to be a, they, they did a, a special draw in Rome, Set Blatter and uh, somebody else, I can't remember who, um, had to draw lots to decide who finished second in the group and who finished third. And it meant that uh, Ireland were drawn out as the second place team uh, and got to play Romania. Uh, and West Germany would uh, uh, Holland were drawn out third to then play West Germany in the first knockout round. They're their arch enemies, so it was a really tight group, but possibly the worst group of the tournament based on the quality of the football. It was horrible, wasn't it? It was absolutely. I remember watching that in that 
first game that we played against Ireland, Lineker scored after about eight minutes, didn't he? And then it was just turgid from then on in, and you just knew that they were going to score. And I, I thought think... you were going to say, I thought you were going to say it was turd, uh, which is quite apt given that <laughs> Gary Lineker shit himself on the pitch in that game. <laughs> oh, was it that one? It was that one, yeah. Okay. Do you know about that, Jesse? No. Is that literal? Yeah. What? He pooed himself what? on the pitch. Does he not know the preschool rule that you go before you leave the house? I'm sure he probably does. What happened? Did he have a stomach virus? Did, did Yes, I... he claims he had a dodgy stomach and uh, there was a, he got tackled. Um, and as he went down, his, his muscle function was concentrated elsewhere at that particular time. And um, there was a bit of leakage, shall we say. There is footage of him like a dog does. He's sort of got his bum on the ground and he's pulling himself no. along with his hands. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. How did he... What? The only... You you have to move and never to be seen or heard from again. And, and yet, he's still going. He's Gary Lineker. There were a lot, there were a lot less cameras yeah. in the stadium those days. Oh, thank you. Just, if, you, if, you, if you want to be reminded of it, just look at the replies to any one of his tweets. Oh, God, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh, no. Yep, he gets reminded of it a fair bit. Um, I can't remember the Netherlands game at all, but the Egypt game, it was Mark Wright that scored, wasn't it, from a Gaza free kick. But again, it was like horrible stuff. No team scored more than one goal in this whole group. Yeah, absolutely. And you think you think England-Ireland was bad. Ireland-Egypt was about ten times worse. Yeah. It was a festival of football, Adam. Yeah, so the quality was so high. <laughs> That's why this tournament so famously remembered and didn't result in rule changes because it was so bad. <laughs> right, OK, so move on to the uh, round of 16 Adam's knockouts. voice is its own sarcasm font. It's so great. You should have seen his face last week when I told him we were doing this. <laughs> we as, just as we did a, as we did Greece women Euro two thousand. <laughs> We've done that, and now we're doing this. It feels like a conspiracy. <laughs> Next week we're going to be doing uh, Istanbul two thousand and five. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay, right. Into the round of sixteen. So the first games of the round of sixteen was um, Cameroon versus Colombia. So that was um, was it one one before extra time. Uh, blah, blah, blah. nil nil wasn't it nil nil okay yes sorry uh, Roger Miller came on he scored two goals I seem to remember both of those goals being calamities but they weren't were they it was only the, the second one the first goal was very well taken yes the first one was a good move and an excellent finish it was only the second one um, which came not so long after that where Aguita, um was poncing around outside the box or being ahead of his time if you believe René Aguita. Um <laughs> he got Miller robbed him and walked the ball into the net yeah and basically threw away Colombia's chances this was this fed into every single stereotype English commentators had on South American goalkeepers do you know any South American well, goalkeepers Jesse? this was a Goicochea World Cup as well right? yes yeah, it was. who's extraordinary yeah. he had a fantastic World Cup didn't he? Goicochea's yeah yeah. He, he he has a he has a restaurant or a bar in Buenos Aires called yes, Italia Ninety. Yes, he does. That's what that's what clicks for me. Like, wait a second. Food. Um, oh, he's nuts. Um, Renny Higita then. Yes, he sort of gave the ball away, trying to cross turn, didn't he? About sort of just near the centre circle. Uh, Roger Miller robbed him. Of South American goalkeepers thinking that they would they were also goal scorers. Yes. Like. In any South American match, 
league match, you would see a goalkeeper being like, there are 70 minutes to go. Obviously, I must get forward and win the team, the league. No, stay in your net. But it's fun. It's really fun to watch. Oh, it's definitely not boring. We've lost that as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's sort of, for us in Europe, that first game about, I don't remember his name, but there was a guy, uh, the keeper from Peru, did it in 1978 he yes. played most of the game in the in the center circle rather than in his own box and that kind of set the stereotype for us didn't it from yeah. there on on it was absolutely it was a style it was really fun and you never knew it was going to happen and some of them were actually really good i think many of them were shorter as well at the time so you didn't have mm. these like six foot six keepers but but they had lower center of gravities and they were fast and they really wanted to score they were street good footballers. Yes. Yeah, you don't get that so much now, do you? Because they're obviously all sort of academised and everything. But yeah. Right. Is Luis Suarez the last street footballer? Ah, oh, break my oh. heart. No, we will always have... He's the last what? one to try and eat a footballer. Hey, I'm leaving. Twice, three times. <laughs> all right, again. He's been to therapy. I could do the whole thing, but then Adam's going to leave. Next time, Adam, forget Istanbul. Next podcast is the history of Luis Suarez. <laughs> You're invited. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Next one was Costa Rica four. Um, sorry, uh, Czech, Czechoslovakia four. Costa Rica one. Thomas Garabi hat trick. Uh, and then we get to Brazil Argentina. And this was a game that had been hyped up for a few days beforehand. Uh, we were expecting a festival of football in this. Um, it didn't quite happen, did it? Um, it. <laughs> It was a game where Brazil dominated. Argentina basically went to defend um, and hit them on the counter-attack. Brazil had plenty of chances. I think they hit the bar and post three times, uh, had a few chances. Um, and then, of course, they got done by the sucker punch with about, I don't know, 10 minutes to go, something like that, when Maradona was, you know, basically bouncing off one player, bounced off another one, being, you know, slammed to the turf by another guy and then put an intricate ball through to Kanija. Um, his cocaine mate um, with his right foot and then he, <laughs> he he finished magnificently when he rounded Taffarel to score but I mean there's so many other things going on in this game have you ever heard of the holy water scandal yeah, thank yes. you I was, gonna bring that up. Yeah. I was waiting for this Go on then. Go on then. Have been allowed to play again what's that Scott so um, so the Argentinian player or Argentinian had bottle of water which was had holy water in it and it was given to Branca, yeah, Branco, yeah, yeah, Branca, and he and he took it. And Mar- this is on one of the eight thousand Diego Maradona documentaries there was around. And um, I think he gave an interview back in Argentina. Said he he drank holy water and it was a bit worse for wear afterwards. Holy water but, is not something that's given to him by a priest. Um, it was given to him by Maradona's dealer, and it was tranked. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Um. And just just to say, just to say, Chris, um, the comment, the BBC commentator for that game was Barry Davis, also a guest on Vincera. Oh, well, man, definitely coming that, having that one. There. Absolute legend. Yes, I, I always preferred him to Motti. Yeah, me too. Because he could do tennis and all sorts. Oh yeah. Oh, I love Barry Davis. Where were the Germans? Frankly, who cares? <laughs> um. Yeah, okay, so yeah, right, they did hit the post three times, didn't they? Dunga headed onto the post, and then there was two 
the Kareka sort of crossed onto the post and then the follow-up shot smashed into it from about 25 yards, didn't it? I yeah. seem to remember this was like the first time that Maradona actually did anything in this World Cup, wasn't it? It must be the only time he did anything in this World Cup when, with that pass to that run and that pass to Kanija. Yeah, I think if anybody's seen the documentary um, film, which is brilliant, of course, uh, is recently on the television here. Um, he was crocked. He was getting injections in his back and in his uh, ankle. Um, who knows what other pharmaceuticals he was taking as well to see him through. <laughs> he, he was not the same Maradona, even though he got himself really fit for that or technically fit, let's say, uh, to, to play in Italia 90. Um, he, he wasn't he wasn't the Maradona of 1986. Um so yeah, it was other other than um, giving us all a laugh in the final when he was crying when they got beat. This is about all he did in that tournament that I can really remember. Yeah, so safe, safe, safe to say he was enjoying the Naples lifestyle. <laughs> I think by then it was getting a bit much for him, wasn't it? Was this a pre regular um, P test? Because I, I mean, the iconic moment from '94 is Maradona walking on the field and then smiling as they usher him off the field because he failed the drug test. Were they not drug testing I suppose they before matches? I mean, this was only two years after Ben Johnson at the Olympics, wasn't it? So they must have been doing something like mm. that. Well, isn't the accusation that he had um, oh, yes. prosthetics? Yes. <laughs> yeah. His plastic penis, which yeah. is on display in the museum, isn't it? Right. Well, why didn't he use it in 94? I don't know. There wasn't enough people covering for him in 94 as there had been previously. Yeah. Quite possibly. Uh, and then we go on to the next one. Um, West Germany 2, Netherlands 1. Um, this was held at the San Siro. So uh, this was goals by uh, Jürgen Klinsmann scored the first goal. And then Andreas Bremer in the 85th minute. Um, and then a penalty by Ronald Koeman in the 89th minute. But this, well, is, not what the, yeah, well, this is not what the <laughs> game is remembered for. I tell you, what, before we talk about this, the incident in this game, um, this is covered really well in Simon Cooper's Football Against the Enemy because... Before this fixture, there was a lot of harking back to World War Two and these two being old enemies and stuff. So um, if you get a chance to read that, Football Against the Enemy, it covers this particular game really, really well. Um, Adam, do you remember what this game is famous for? No, sorry, it doesn't work with no. an audio, audio moment. Does that me just shaking my head? God is raising his hand like a good pupil. Scott, you got your hand in the air like you're on a night out. It was the infamous Frank Reichard, Rudy Voller spitting incident. Yes, it was. So Frank Reichard was shown a yellow card for. I mean, correct me if I get any of this wrong, Mark. But Frank Reichard was shown a yellow card for a tackle on Rudy Voller, wasn't he? Um, yep. And as Voller is walking away, Frank Reichard jogs past him and gets a huge gobful of spit. <laughs> and flens in his big curly hair, um, which is disgusting. Voller realises straight away, doesn't he? And then goes over to the referee and sort of shows him what Rykard's just done, and then gets a yellow card himself for um, for his troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, the, um, right. the ref was Argentinian, so you know you can't trust them. <laughs> uh, and then a minute later, the ball comes into the area. Um, from what I can make out, they're talking about. When I read up on this, so the ball comes into the area, hands around Brooklyn, and the Dutch goal gets the ball. Um, mm. And there's kind of a coming together between him and Voller. Now, I've sort of read it in some respects as people saying that Voller was diving for a penalty. When I looked at the footage again today, I sort of looked at him as Voller trying to dive out of the way so he doesn't collide into Van Brooklyn. Um, uh, I would say that 
the, the ball's looped up into the air into Van Brooklyn's towards Van Brooklyn. Rudy Fuller has gone for a gone to try and beat him to the ball, but he was like it. Van Brooklyn was like the 70-30 favourite to get it, maybe even like 90-10, let's say. Um, Van Brooklyn's jumped out the way to avoid Fuller clattering him. It was it was nothing, but then of course Van Brooklyn's making a big show of it. Rijkaard steams in, as does somebody else. I don't know, Koeman, I think it might have been, um, trying to get Voller into trouble, which of course they did. He got a second yellow card for what you might deem a, a dangerous tackle. Um, Rijkaard for stirring the pot also gets the, the second yellow. And then as they're both walking away down the touchline to go to the tunnel and to the changing rooms, right, uh, Voller's walking quite slowly. Rijkaard jogs up behind him and lets off volley number two into Voller's curly mullet at the back. Um, and again, another piece of World Cup folklore there and then. Yeah, that was horrible. I remember Chris, watching that live. Oh. Chris was just impl- implying, imploring, sorry, the... Um... Well, I believe it's called the Mo Salah defence to diving for a penalty there. <laughs> Just getting out of the way. <laughs> Nothing wrong with diving. If you're going to complain about that, you've got a million other things to complain about as well. Um, yeah, so you're right. This has gone down in sort of folk. I think Frank Reichard pretty quickly afterwards realised he'd gone way too far and apologised to Rudy Voller, didn't he? I think the two of them made it up pretty quickly afterwards. But I remember watching this at the time, I think sort of questioning myself was whether I'd seen what I had actually seen mm. and I and indeed I had yeah absolute madness um and as you say it was it was all born out of World War II the 1974 World Cup final yeah. um uh, and and also the 1988 Euros when the Dutch beat the Germans in the semi-final on German soil in Hamburg and at the end of the game uh Ronald Koeman and it was a bad-tempered game Ronald Koeman swapped shirts with Olaf Tone um, and in front of the German crowd, Ronald, Ronald Koeman got the German shirt and wiped his ass on it. He should have given it to Gary, to Gary Lineker. <laughs> <laughs> should have held on to it. Uh, I, I would point out, I'd point out, Jesse, that um, Anglo-German relations were probably wor- uh, worse at that point. So probably wouldn't have gone down well if Gary Lineker had done that. <laughs> We've been to pretty war with pretty much everybody in Italian ninety, haven't we? we only, it was only eight years since we've been to war with Argentina, so. Not Uruguay. See. Yeah. See. Well, well we don't want to cut, cut off our. We don't want to cut Bread. off our corned beef supply. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Also, in the last sixteen was remaining in Island nil. Um, this was. Uh, I remember watching this when I came home from school, and it was um, secondary school. My dad had them. This was. A pretty terrible game, but it was very terrible, but very tense at the same time. It got to penalties. Um, Jack Charlton actually started smoking during the penalty shootout. Again, he'd given up for two years, and a guy in the crowd was starting smoking, and Jack Charlton said, can I have one, please? And um, uh, it was, was passed a cigarette. Uh, it was nil-nil. Every, team, every person scored their penalty up until um, Daniel Timofti for uh, Romania. Paki Bono went sort of down to his right and saved it. Um, and this is when I closed my eyes and turned my TV on to mute because David O'Leary was walking up uh, and I really, really couldn't. This is where I got a dual nationality. My dad's Irish, so we were all sort of feeling quite tense about this. Um, Jack Charlton said he wasn't happy when he saw it was David O'Leary walking up, which kind of meant they probably hadn't talked beforehand about who was going to take penalties. No, and they, those two actually didn't get on that well from what I've read no. um, before. So it was quite a surprise to see O'Leary 
taking the the crucial fifth penalty in that. I think he was just a surprise to himself, wasn't he? I don't think this was any sort of great master plan. You know, we'll stick him on at the end because no one's ever seen him take a penalty before, but he can do them amazingly well. Maybe it was a case of all the other, you know, the the obvious candidates had either taken one or they were bricking it and, uh, you know, were, were shrinking away as far away from Charlton as he possibly could when he was trying to look around for penalty takers. Yeah, pretty just, much. Just, just a quick... Quick trivia question on the island penalty takers. Of the five penalty takers, how many of them were born in Ireland? Uh, One, David O'Leary. One. Yeah, both but that was Zero. Who was, was born in London, right? Oh, O'Leary was born in London? Zero. <laughs> yeah. Sheedy, Cascarino, Townsend, Houghton, and O'Leary. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I missed that yeah. one out. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the Argentinian players were born in Italy. Well, Tony Cascarino never actually qualified to play for Ireland anyway. He Did he forge his paperwork or something? Uh, somebody did, allegedly. Oh, he's admitted it himself. I don't think you have to say allegedly. Oh, all right. Yeah, he admitted it himself. I think he, he, he admitted it in the autobiography, didn't he? Um, oh, but people are allowed to admit all sorts of autobiographies and get away with it. Look at, um, look at Matt Letizio. What did he admit to? Oh, just spot fixing. Just get uh, things that normal people would, would wouldn't be allowed on TV for. But what did he get away with it? Like match fixing? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, again, we could bring up Ronaldo, but we won't. That would just <laughs> down. We'll do a podcast on its own on that. Uh, oh, Jesse, I'm sorry. Like, sound like Italian football as well. The biscotto. Yeah, the biscuit. That's a cookie, Scott. The biscuit. What was that? Did we not have enough for tea? Uh, the only biscuit game I can think of is not one that we want to talk about on your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Let's move on to Jesse quick. I'm so sorry. Italy 2, Uruguay nil at the Stadio Olympico. No, no, we, no, we don't have to. No, it's okay. We don't have to talk about that. All right. Moving we'll, on. We'll move on to... Great, great Scalacci goal. Yes. Uruguay just tried to go for nil-nil. That's all you need to know. This was an uh, iconic this celebration. Was the beginning of a very dark period. <laughs> yeah. Spain won Yugoslavia too. This was two goals from Dragan Stojkovic. Um, God, can we talk about, about him again? Uh, so the first goal, um, Cross comes in and he literally just has to volley it from the six-yard box, but he doesn't. He drags it, he sort of drags it down, pulls it across and slots it past the Spain keeper. Uh, and then a free kick in the 93rd minute, which was a thing of some absolute beauty. Um... And then we've gone to England, one Belgium nil. Nothing happened till David Platt stuck the ball in the back of the net after 122 minutes or whenever it was. Great free mm. kick from Gascoigne. Yes. Good ball in. Great game, actually. Belgium Belgium were very unlucky. Hit the post twice with Shilton. Three right, times. Nowhere near it. Three times, was it? Yeah. Um, so, England... says, so says the articles I read trying to trash for Italia 90. <laughs> England, <laughs> England, um, England were... were you know, riding the look from day one, really, in that tournament. But the knockout stages, my God, the on, the only game where they played with the best team in the game was the semi final, where they lost. This was an iconic celebration, wasn't it? David Platt and his sort of fist pumping. I always always thought that David Platt looked like how we look when you look at yourself in the back of a spoon. I mean, I don't have a spoon to hand, but I know I'm... what I'm doing as soon as I hang out. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Fair enough. 
Uh, okay, and then we move on to the quarterfinals. So first quarterfinals, Argentina, Yugoslavia. That was nil-nil after extra time, so it goes to penalties. And of all people, Stojkovic misses the first penalty, and then for Argentina, Maradona and Troglio miss as well. Um, Argentina are on the brink of qualifying for the semi-finals, but two misses from Brunovic and uh, Hadzigovic. Um, Hadzigovic. <laughs> He meant Yugoslavia on the brink of qualifying for what the semi-finals. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, sorry, Yugoslavia. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. So key players missing the penalties. Um, all Yugoslavia have to do is literally score, but they don't. Those two players miss their penalty, and then Gustavo Dezotti, uh, he scores the winning penalty, and that Yugoslavia team are out. Boohoo! Yeah. It's yeah. Sad again, because look- they have a player named Dragon, and that's so great. <laughs> yeah. Again, he was one of those players that you see once every four years because he was playing off in Japan. At the t- you know, he was Red Star, then he went to Marseille, and then Japan he went to, wasn't he? So he was one of these players that was so so gifted, but he, he only came on once every four years at World Cups. Yeah, sadly, basically, as soon as he got to Marseille, he got a really bad injury. Yeah. Um, a bit like Prozanecki as well. When he went to Spain, he got a really bad injury and really knocked their careers when they should have been the best two players of the 90s, really. Yeah. Um, but... You know they were never seen. I don't think to their to their best effect. Although Portsmouth fans might disagree in terms of Prozanetsky. Uh Yes, Greg and Tom absolutely love him to bits. Um, okay, and then what we got? We they got... can't really remember him. They probably don't remember him at all. <laughs> uh, they Ireland... were about as old as I was when Italian ninety was on when that was going on. <laughs> Ireland knew Italy won. Uh, Ireland had a date with the Pope, didn't they? Um, beforehand to try and help them through, didn't work. Uh, they had some of the holy water, that's why. Is that what it was? <laughs> oh, or as Jack Charlton would call him, the perp. <laughs> that's how they pronounce That's how they say Costa Rica, pro- is it? <laughs> no, that's how, uh, that's how uh, Jack Charlton's just up from the road from me, actually, in a place called Ashton. It's only about five miles away from where I live. And they've all, they've got this very weird accent where dogs are dirgs, uh, hotels are hotels, and the Pope is the perp. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, so Totus Glassy scored. Um, it was Kevin Sheedy that gave the ball away, and Jack Charlton in a documentary afterwards was um, he hadn't quite gotten over the fact that Sheedy given the ball away. He said he could have give, played an easy pass. He tried to do something clever, gave it away. Um... I'm going to stick up for Sheedy here, a because he's on the show, and b he's one of my heroes from being an Everton player. Um, but actually, if you watch it, Sheedy plays a ball to feet yes. to that idiot <laughs> John Aldridge. Um, He's the one that loses the ball, not Sheedy. Uh, so declare an interest here. It, it's the it's the fact that Charlton had told Sheedy just to knock the ball long over the top, and he played a simple ball to Aldridge's feet. Aldridge couldn't control it, and that's where the ball was lost. And Italy went on to score. So I think Sheedy gets a raw deal out of Jack Charlton on this one. It doesn't sound. I I obviously have never seen it, but it doesn't sound like a midfielder playing a no look backwards past his goalkeeper from thirty yards out, ninety five minute. <laughs> Kevin Sheedy, Adam, you heard of Kevin Sheedy? No. Everton, legend. One. Still only one. Haven't got any older since this has happened. <laughs> <laughs> You've you, gotten, I don't know, like an hour older. You must have heard of players that played for your club before you were born. No. Dixie, yeah, Dixie Dean. Have you heard of Dixie Dean? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we don't, what, we, what are we testing here? You. <laughs> your. Uh... See. See what I won't, what I can't do like you though is pretend when I go from one club to now I was a Leicester fan at that point. I was, 
No, I don't remember. That's when I was supporting QPR. I'm a man of many <laughs> nations. Uh, okay, and then Czechoslovakia nil, Germany won. Um, and then we've got England 3, Cameroon 2. I, don't, I never watched this game. I was on holiday at the time. I was between campsites. So I didn't actually watch this game. Uh, well, Campsites camp- not have televisions. No, I was travelling between camp- campsites. Campsites are euphemism. <laughs> No, I was in France going from one campsite to the other. My parents wouldn't listen to me. That It was quite a key and important game. Uh, yes. And I think because Ireland had lost, my dad didn't care and just wanted to get in the car and go somewhere. So Well, um, Cam- Cameroon should have won. Simple as that. Yes. They were the better team for the whole 120 minutes. Uh, and England got two penalties in one game. And they'd, not, they'd only been given two penalties in the previous nine years. So that tells you how lucky we got in that game. Seven minutes from so- being knocked out. Yeah, and and some say Lineker dived for at least one of them. I don't think he I'm, did. I'm not, I'm, not ha- I'm not having that. I think they were both nailed on penalties myself. I think they were definitely. I think they were. Uh, and then we get the semi final. First semi final is Italy Argentina. Now this is taking place in Naples. So Adam, you were talking earlier on about Diego Maradona and some of the comments he made in this World Cup. Yeah, well, yeah, at this point he'd already demanded that the whole of Naples support him, and it, it didn't go down well. You can't blame him for trying it, though. I think there was a famous banner in the stadium that said, um, what was it, Diego in our hearts, but Italy in our songs. Yeah. Something like that, or the, or the other way around. I forget which way it was. So, yeah, it might have worked with a few people, but I think by then he'd already um, pissed on too many people's chips in Naples. Um, the the um, the uh, the uh, Capardi documentary seems to suggest that he did manage to splinter off a, a fair few a fair few ne- uh, Neapolitans were in fact Diego Maradona fans that day he tried to invoke the whole um, Mezzogiorno thing didn't he where you've got the um, the north of Italy which is this sort of um, industrialised forward thinking place that looks down upon the south as being a bunch of uh, backwards yokels and he was trying to sort of invoke that spirit to get the Neapolitans to support him the, the closest you probably got to it in in this country is the we're not English, we are Scouts. Oh, that nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's probably the closest we've got, right? I don't think... I can't think of any other reason that... Uh, Chris is now going to pretend that Cornwall's trying to demand <laughs> independence. No, I was going to say... Start, I... to, start talking about a World Cup that doesn't exist <laughs> against countries that aren't real. No, I was going to talk about... Um, you might remember, Mark, when John Hall, when he bought Newcastle, was talking about them being the equivalent to the Basques. Uh, yes, I do remember that indeed, yeah. Yeah. Not very well. Not, not a great analogy. But yeah. But there is very much... In, in Italy at this point, there is very much a a sense of being Neapolitan and not being Italian. I think that's still also, Italy's, now. Italy's a country with Italy is a country with much uh, with far different history to the, to the uh, to England or the United Kingdom. So that sort of uh, regionalism comes a bit more naturally to them. But when you see again in that in the Asif Kabari documentary when. Uh, uh, Maradona's just joined some of the some of the anti Naples chanting from and banners and stuff from other things just seem a different world to football nowadays you say it's still going Scott do you? It's, there's still a massive north and south divide in Italy 30 years later yeah yeah um, so this game finished 1-1 after extra time uh, 
header from Claudio Canigia. And then Toto Sklachi, who I reckon was offside for that goal he scored. Uh, debatable, isn't it? Yeah, debatable. Yeah. But if you if you're going to hold your own, if you're going to host a World Cup, you you expect to get the dodgy decisions before before VAR comes along. Just just ask South Korea. Yeah, you beat me to that, Adam. I think you could also say just ask England as well. <laughs> um, we definitely got a lucky one with England. You're looking confused, Adam. No, I know exactly what you're talking about, but if I wasn't born, if I was only one at Italian 90, how old do you think I was at this point? <laughs> you were still swimming around inside your dad like I was in 1966. Ooh, Why were you swimming around old. inside Adam's dad? Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 is, there, is there some sort of um, reunion that you two need to be having? You're actually, you're actually related. Some sort of revelation. Adam, you'll never guess what. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, and it went to penalties. Um, Roberta Donadoni and uh, Serena missed for um, Italy. Again, it was saves from Goy Kachir, wasn't it? Same as against um, uh, Yugoslavia. It wasn't sort of misses. These were decent saves by him, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Cometh the hour, cometh the man and all that. Yeah. There are so many going-to-be-MLS players in this World Cup. <laughs> I'm total non-sequitur, but between Matteo Calderama... And and Donadoni. I was too busy trying to work out if my dad was even born in during when <laughs> when, <laughs> when 1966 happened because it's a, it's close. So we can have all the non secretaries you want. Uh, okay, and then the oh, do you know what? This is the other semi final. It is England versus West Germany. Mark, I, st- I watched the highlights from this today. I was I watched it and I was back to being that. <laughs> Sort of twelve-year-old boy crying his eyes out in the bar in the south of France. Um, can, I, can I ask a question? Do you, think, do you reckon Chris Waddle should never cut off his mullet? Yes. Oh I, yeah, it's yeah. The, the, the Samson effect, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's Definitely. right. He did, didn't he? I mean, you, you said you watched the highlights, Chris. You're doing, you're doing it, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice there because um, there's a site. I don't know if you know. It's called uh, Footballia.net. And it's got about seventeen or eighteen thousand full games on it, and you can log in and go and see all of Italian ninety, like the whole, the whole ninety minutes or whatever, one hundred twenty minutes in this case. And you should do because it's just such a tense. The whole thing, even now, I watch it and I'm tense. And, and for me, I'd, this probably even above like the Euro ninety six semi final against Germany was the, like the most um, intense match. I'll probably ever watch in my whole life. Like then, and what was it? Thirty million people or something watched yeah. it on the TV in this country. I don't think there's ever been a sporting event watched by more people. And again, just take it in the context as, as I as I was describing at the start. And forget the football of Italian ninety and the goals per game ratio and all that sort of stuff. Oh, are we going to remember? I don't know. Uh, um, Two thousand eighteen, perhaps, or twenty fourteen. Maybe there was better football in those World Cups, but are those World Cups going to have a bigger legacy, particularly in this country, than Italia 90? And I don't think there will, although the, the football was like technically worse. But this semi-final has got so much, uh, is responsible for so much of how we view that World Cup. But also, um, not just in a sporting sense, but almost it was like a shared cultural experience watching that game, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and it, it was an absolute epic. And as I said before, even, even the German players I spoke to, um, for the podcast, they both said if England had won, we could not have complained because that's how good England played on the night, and Germany played pretty well too. 
we and they, um, were the, they were the best team throughout. Yeah, I was I was in a bar in France watching this with about a hundred England fans and two Germans, um, and they didn't cheer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Andres Bremer scored with a free kick. I, I'm going to blame Peter Shilton for this free kick because he was way off his line, wasn't he? Yeah, that whole game. And if we go to the, the penalty kicks too, it was like he was wearing concrete boots. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was too. He was too slow. And at forty years old, I mean, I'm forty three now, um, and just getting up off the sofa is a bit of a chore. Um, so trying to defend a, a ball looping over your head for a forty-one or forty-year-old goalkeeper, yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't great. Not a great way to end his England career. No, uh, and then of course there was the Gaza being booked and the old have a word moment. Yeah, iconic again, full of iconic moments this World Cup, and that is right up there with the rest of them. Yeah, uh, and then he gets the penalty. No, so the 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 mo- the moment is the Gary Lineker look though, not the actual. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's the I whole process. Yeah. Like Gaza getting the lip on as well. When Gaza first gets the lip on, you just know. Like, it's like the whole nation is like, uh oh. And Gabrielinka spots it at the same moment as those thirty million people watching it on television do. They see that here's our best chance of getting to the final, not actually being in the final round. Because you know he's had that realization at the same time as we do that that's it. He's he's not going to play again in that World Cup. But it's that. It's like, oh my god, this is the talisman, the, the the world-class player we've been waiting for since I don't know, Jimmy Greaves or Stanley Matthews, that you know, 30, 40 years. And the guy is falling apart on national television, you know, because he he knows he's not going to play in the World Cup final, regardless of the result. It's just such an epic moment. And then of course Gary Lineker spots it. And Gary Lineker was like the housewife's housewife's favourite. Everybody loved him, Mr. Squeaky Clean, you know. And and he's you know he looks across to Bobby Robson who who even Gascoigne felt of as like his second dad. All this all this is taking part place in like the space of what fifteen twenty seconds. It just it just enhances that game and this World Cup so much. I know. Listen, I'm, I'm rabbiting on and you know you can see how much I you know I love, I love Italian ninety and it is just such and, and again you cannot stress how important this whole game was to English football at that moment having come out of dark days of the 80s Hillsborough was a year earlier and then ha- where it was two years later with the start of the Premier League the everything changed because of this game I can't I can't stress that enough I think a lot of this a lot of how England did at this tournament looks good in a slow motion Nessendorma montage as well which also helps yeah 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 of course it does you, you can boil any World Cup or anything down to look good you can look make it look any any player look good on a YouTube reel Kind of highlights reel. Yeah, you you can make um, you can make Jimmy Traoré look like uh, a Champions Mr. League winner. <laughs> Champions League winner. <laughs> exactly, the worst Champions League player there's ever been. Uh, winner there's ever been, but you can make him look like a good player on YouTube, and so you can make anything look good on YouTube. And yeah, England's World Cup was pretty dire at times, especially early on. Yeah, but that made it all the better in the end because it was such a roller coaster that it had you like hanging on to the side of your sofa the whole time. Yeah. Now you watch England, it's like, okay, Deli Ali's got the ball. Okay, we're going to go sideways, backwards, sideways, backwards. You know, there's, there's, I don't know. I think there's, there's something special to be to be said about being shite at the World Cup and getting to the semi final. <laughs> we're doing that. Oh, I can't talk about the penalties, right? Scott, tell me about Chris Waddle and Stuart Pearce. Are they still looking for Chris Waddle's penalty now in Turin? Oh. In the in the now dilapidated. Stadio della Alpi. Yeah, this was a brand new Stadio della Alpi as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that lasted well. Yeah, um, 
was it 16 years that stadium lasted? <laughs> 16 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, all the penalties have gone in so far. Um, Stuart Pearce goes to take his. Goes for the sort of what I would do, which is just twat it down the middle. Um, but Bodo Wilkner's got longer legs than what he's imagining. Um, and Bodo Wilkner saves it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, if there's anybody you thought would score, it was Pierce because he, he rarely missed, and as yeah. you say, he just had one. He had one modus operandi: hit it as hard as you can, and yeah. that usually will see you through. And like you say, Ilgner had dived for it, but he just stuck out his legs, and yeah, that was the that was the moment. It forget Waddle, the Pierce free kick, because yeah. you, you knew the you knew what not one of those Germans was going to miss. Yeah, and I knew that Chris Waddle was going to miss it at the moment. You could just tell when he was walking up. Mm. Well, he had his head down, but that was probably because it was his balance was affected by not having that mullet um, pulling <laughs> his head back. <laughs> um, two things from this about sort of German dignity. In the moments after this, Chris Waddle misses his um, uh, Chris Waddle misses his penalty. So every one of these German players and staff has sort of reached their sort of pinnacle of their career. So. You know, this is like the happiest moment of their life, if not sporting life. And there's a huge pile of players to be jumped upon. Uh, Lothar Mateus, at this moment, puts his arm around Chris Waddle and walks him back to the centre circle very calmly. That was just an extraordinary moment. Yeah. Another, again, it just enhances that night. Yeah. If, if, if it needed any more. Yeah. And someone was talking about drugs testing earlier on. Um, I do remember Stuart Pearce talking about the fact that it's only just come back to me now. Stuart Pearce was selected for the drugs testing uh, after the game. And he was sat, it was him and another player, uh, was sat in the drug testing room with two Germans. And um, apparently the two Germans behaved with impeccable dignity. And he says, I don't think we would have been the same if it was the other way around. I do remember Stuart Pearce saying that now. Uh, so yeah, they were definitely drug testing. So it cuts to the final. West Germany won, Argentina nil. Um... Rudy Vollen missed a couple of chances earlier on. Um, Maradona hit a free kick way over. This wasn't a classic. <laughs> <laughs> You're happy with that, Jesse? Uh, this was a classic, wasn't it? Thomas, it wasn't a classic, sorry. Uh, Thomas Bertolt missed with a, a free header as well. And it was a horrible, horrible, horrible game. Um, what came first? Was there a red card before? It was the cleanse of a red card before the penalty. There was, I think, there was a red card before. Monzon, Monzon, first, yeah. Awful challenge. It was a tackle, but bloody hell, he made the most of it, didn't it? This was all about the same sort of sort of cheating Germans and diving foreigners time, wasn't it? Well, Klinsmann was like the diver supreme uh, at that time, and there's a few examples in Italian ninety of that. but, I mean, the Argentinians just made it too easy for the referee. Who, if, I don't know if you remember him. He was the most extravagant referee you'll yes. probably ever see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this was the time. I mean, I remember sort of English commentators at the time being like sort of swooning Victorian women as they seen sort of Jürgen Klinsmann fall about and stuff. Because he did that sort of Michael Thomas flip, didn't he, when he landed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was like a breakdance move. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Uh, and then Rudy Voller is found inside the penalty area with about seven minutes left. Um... And as much as the Argentinians argued about the penalty decision, it wasn't going to get changed, was it? And there was an unerring sense of inevitability. Goy Kachir goes the right way there, Jesse, for the penalty. He doesn't quite get there, though. Um, and they go 1-0 up. Uh, Jan Koller with a bit of shithousery as well, doesn't he? It, that was... Um, Jimmy Jürgen Koller. Jürgen Koller. 
Well, no, Yanko. Oh no, he's checking me. He's checking. <laughs> we, talked about about... <laughs> we talked about him last week, didn't we? <laughs> Jurgen Koller and his excellent stash. Yes, Jurgen Koller and his excellent stash. Uh, he was sort of grabbed around the neck a little bit by Dizotti, wasn't he? He went down as if he'd been um, hit by something that Stephen Taylor would get hit by in the Newcastle penalty area. Um, then yeah. the Argentinian players all piled onto a referee, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they did. They did, because it was hugely off the ball as well. Maradona had just been given a foul on the other side of the pitch when it happened. Uh, and I remember John Watson sort of coming out with, uh, you know, FIFA going to have to look at this and ban Argentina from the next World Cup. These South American mm. players, they're all the same. It doesn't matter what country they come from in South America. All True. Over... <laughs> it's, it... it's interesting, though, because the Argentinians to this day um, are, are, are um, certain that the, the, the result was decided before the game and they even call they call the referee the thief that's his name i think in argentina the the thief they, they, you know because the 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 agenda that's it perfect pronunciation as well yeah. um that uh, the agenda was already set before they got because because everybody did nobody wanted argentina in the final because they were so poor uh throughout that competition and again the maradona factor they just made their mind that they got there by hook or by crook and that they were going to win it because it was their destiny or whatever. And then along came FIFA and this referee and stole it away from them. Um, and again, the, one of the great moments of that World Cup and this final is actually the national anthems. When um, the Argentine national anthems being played, the Italian crowd is booing and jeering and hissing and all that. And the, the camera, as it does, pans along the Argentine team line as they're lining up for the national anthems and it gets to Maradona. And he's got a face like thunder. And he's whisper. He's like not even whispered. He's saying it, mouthing it distinctly. He's, he's saying, "He called the puta. He called the puta," to the to the Italian crowd as they're booing the Argentine national anthem. Which, sorry, excuse my pronunciation, uh, Jesse, because I know it's terrible. But he called the puta means sons of bitches, right? So, or sons of a bitch, however you want to say it. So, um, yeah, I think he'd he'd long decided at that point that uh, you know screw the Italians wherever they come from. Um, this was a big win for West Germany. Like you said earlier on, this was post-Berlin Wall, pre-unification. Um, it was it was good for Germany and Germany's soul, I think, that they won this tournament. Mm. It was, and I, I went to Germany roughly around that time as well, so you could feel that whole positivity and whatever, with the Berlin Wall coming down and the reunification of the country and so on and so on. So, yeah, it was kind of like it couldn't have happened at a better time yeah, uh, for for the German nation as we know it today. Yeah, I've got a feeling as well that if we played Argentina at final, if we'd beat the Germans, I still think Argentina would have won because they would have just shit housed their way to victory. I think. Um, possibly, I think the consensus of opinion is that England would have won, though. Yeah. The, the real the real final was the semi final between England and West Germany. Or Italy might dispute that, but I think yeah, most people are of the opinion that the whoever won that England West Germany final that played Argentina was going to win I mean Italy didn't lose a game or tournament I think they'd be right to dispute that <laughs> <laughs> yes but if if you watch if you watch the games um, back for all I mean you look at the I don't think anybody had a better squad than Italy if you look at the players that didn't get a game they were incredible but if you watch the games they were nervous and edgy throughout and again they not not quite as much of a roller coaster as England but there were quite a lot of those games, the Ireland game, the USA game in the group stages, and the, the, the nerves just got them and they couldn't cope with it in the semi-final and that's what they're undoing. So if they got to the final, 
I still think West Germany would have beat them. They played um, all their games in Rome, and the Rome crowd is very hot and vociferous. At the, mo- at the worst of times, um, I've witnessed it myself being in Rome, watching Roma, and it will make you oh. nervous to the pitch. Scott, you the can see Argentina it. The Argentina game was literally in Naples. Yeah, apart from, I said apart from most of their games. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I missed that. You, you could see it because a lot of their star players, Viali, who was meant it was meant to be his World Cup, he was he was poor. He was injured for a little bit of it, but he, he was so poor they put Scalacci, the sixth joy striker, in ahead of him. So you could see that it was getting to them. You know, the only the only function of the the Italian team that really worked was the defence. You know, that was Baresi, Maldini, Bergami, and uh, Ferry. So the the four guys from the Milan team. So. Everything else didn't work for Italy in that World Cup, really. Maldini wearing Are seven in this World Cup. Over Maldini? Sorry? Are you having a moment over Maldini? A Maldini moment? <laughs> no, I was just thinking <laughs> yes. back to the fact that he was wearing seven. <laughs> it's just very strange. Yes. It's, it's not uncommon for the weird numbers back then. Yeah. The way they did it, apparently, was it was by position and then by alphabetical order. So the defenders would be, I don't know, two to seven or two to eight. But... Then, like, Baresi was probably number two, was he? Or number three, perhaps? And then Maldini, who would all in there, ordinarily be number three, was number seven, as he said. And even, uh, a good example of that is Argentina in 78. Yeah. Ardiles, midfielder, was number one. That's because he went to Spurs, so number one in our heart <laughs> forever. Uh, and he managed Swindon. <laughs> well, on, on that euphoric note, we'll... Um, We'll call that a day, because that was Italian 90. You missed one game out. Have I? Oh, the third... Third and fourth, third and fourth. Does everyone want to talk about that? <laughs> no. Uh, okay, yeah, that was Italian 90, folks. Um, Adam, have we changed your mind? No. <laughs> does Adam get to pick the topic for the next one? Yes, he does. Uh, but, but first of all, don't we get to talk about all the... the why don't we talk about the real impact of Italian 90, about how it introduced the back pass rule because of how boring and defensive the football was. It also introduced three points for a win because of how boring and defensive the football was. <laughs> yeah, so what you're saying, Adam, is that Italia 90 was actually really important and its legacy lives on today. Yes. I'm saying we reached <laughs> such a such a low point that we, ha- we decided change was needed. <laughs> um, that's one for when Michael Cox is next on. We're getting, we're getting an error out of Michael Cox on the back pass rule next time he's on. It seems to work last time. Um, yeah, okay, Jesse and Scott, are we going to have you rushing back through the YouTube archives looking at Italian 90 now? As I watched both ITV and BBC Ones yesterday, maybe not. No, Jesse? It was a bit It was a bit before my time. Yeah, I've been desperate enough to watch old World Cup qualifiers, so why not? Why not? I'll take this one. Cool, okay. Right, guys, uh, time to pick your socials. So, um, Scott, what is your... Uh, Twitter at Scott underscore Monroe Jesse Loesch what's yours uh, it is at Jesse Loesch uh, Adam uh, Adam I say 101 okay uh, Mark so you've explained a lot about um, mm. uh, about what the Italian 90s so we talked about his legacy world in motion all those sorts of things if people want to yeah. um, follow you, if people want to follow yours uh, your oh, you're going to have to help me again Vicen- not Vicenza, yes. that's a place. No, no. <laughs> that's a it's, 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 Vin- it's Vincera, and that's V-I-N-C-E-R-A 90. That's the, the Twitter 
handle. And we're not only talking about the football. We pick different topics, like talking about the music that comes out of it and other stuff. It's not only about the football, good and bad, um, but we try to pick different things from the legacy of Italian 90, about the players, about the music and everything else. So, um, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in all that kind of stuff, come and join us um, from June the 8th. Can you, re- 90. can you record a special Devil's Advocate podcast with Adam talking about how bad Italian 90 was? <laughs> <laughs> you, well, unfortunately, um, you have to be old enough not to shit yourself in a nappy to be able to come on. <laughs> so, sorry, Adam. So, oh, that's, so, so, Gary Lineker, that one. That's the reason he gave me. That's the reason why he's out, I'm afraid. He, did, he didn't tick all the boxes. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, right, okay. Uh, while this whole lockdown uh, is going on, we've been releasing some um, sort of different sort of podcasts. So we did Euro 2004 last week. Week before that, we did the 2011 Four Classicos in 18 days. Um, we've also done a couple of Championship Manager podcasts as well. So please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, follow us on ACAST, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, all these podcasts will fall automatically in your inbox and you're going to get some different kind of content than what you normally would do we are at man on the post on twitter at man on the post on instagram and you can follow us on there you can like us on facebook as well um adam are you picking next week's topic well it depends on whether emma's emma's alive right and back well it, it, she's not here to, fit for us she's not here to argue the fact that she will be so you you choose we did we, we did say it was her, her choice yeah she's not here yeah so well we'll wait and see it's either whatever emma picks or if I can, well, Mark's given us the, the tools now to be able to maybe find the whole, uh, the whole, uh, what was it, uh, Netherlands Portugal game. Oh, that's what you want to talk about, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Mm, well, she's yeah. not here. We're going to talk about Netherlands Portugal 2006, which you're very welcome to join us for, Mark. Um, <laughs> okay, lovely. Right, guys, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Cool. And always remember to keep your man on the post.